On our first Sundays, we are studying the book of Ecclesiastes, which is, uh, although it was a book that was written thousands of years ago, it's a timely book, a book, very, uh, a book that could have just been written almost yesterday. There's a common refrain that says, there's nothing new under the sun, and as we go through the book, we find that to be more and more true. I, uh, the reason I love the wisdom literature, the reason I love Ecclesiastes so much is that it's different, it's different than the prophetic books. The prophetic books are talking about the grand themes of redemptive history. They put the law and the gospel in stark relief and, and they spell out in no uncertain terms the giant scope of God's work throughout the earth. And that's a beautiful thing. But the wisdom literature, Ecclesiastes, is is wisdom for living in a fallen world. It is the kitchen table of the curse. It's the place where we can sit down with God and ask the pressing and the the immediate questions about life. How, How should we live? What's best for us? What is to our advantage? In other words, Ecclesiastes is like the field manual for the fallen world. And so would you please stand as we read from Ecclesiastes chapter 6, verse 10 through seven fourteen. Let's listen intently together to God's inerrant word. Whatever has come to be has already been named, and it is known what man is, and that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. The more words, the more vanity, and what is the advantage to man? For who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow? For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter. For by sadness of face, the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better for man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fools. This also is vanity. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness and a bribe corrupts the heart. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. And say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Wisdom is good with an inheritance, an advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money. And the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other, so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we thank you for the wisdom literature. We thank you for all of your word, Lord, the beauty of all of it. We especially today, we thank you for the help and the beauty that is in the wisdom literature that you have given us. You know our position. You know our circumstances. You love us and you want us 
to have joy and hope even in the midst of a world of suffering. And so we pray that you would help us to take in the depth, the amazing, unfathomable depths of your wisdom that you give us in your word, Lord. Give us minds to understand and hearts to obey your perfect word in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Sometimes we, as a, as a church, sometimes we run ads on Facebook, and so when you, when you do that, they mark you as a client for every Facebook guru on the planet. So now when I go on my Facebook feed, like every third post is from some Facebook guru telling me what is best in life or how to do life best. And invariably, it's always ends up, even the, even the, the Christian gurus, eventually it always goes like this. Build your business, make a ton of money, minimize pain, maximize joy, and this is best in life. How different that is from the message of the Bible, though. I wonder what would happen if, if, uh, if one of those ads came through and it was Solomon, grisly old wise Solomon, who is presenting himself to us as a life coach, because that's basically what's happening in the text today. Solomon the man is going to sit down with us across the table and he's going to tell us what he's learned about life and why it's important. He's going to have a much different message than the Facebook gurus do. Solomon, he's going to come to us who think that money is the answer to everything. He's going to say, nope, I'm richer than you have ever dreamed of being and that's not it. He's going to come to us who think that if we had enough power, that that is going to be the solution to life and he's going to say, nope, I am more powerful than you could ever, ever imagine, and that wasn't it. He's going to come to us who think, those of us who think or thought that being famous was going to be the solution to happiness on earth, and he's going to say, no, my fame spread across the earth. Kings sent emissaries from all over to come and hear my wisdom and hear about my fame, and when they left, they said, I didn't even know the half of it, and that wasn't it. For those of us who think that sexual freedom and autonomy is the answer, Solomon's going to say, hey, you remember, I had 1,000 of the most cultured, sophisticated, finest women on the planet. And I'm telling you, trust me, that's not it. For those of us who think that if we could just amass so much knowledge and be smarter than everybody else, he's going to say, nope, I'm smarter and wiser than you will ever be. For those who think civic works are the answer, nope, I built cities, it's not it. For those who think that environmental sustainability is the answer, he's going to say, no, I planted national forests. And those are good things, but ultimately it's not it. That's not the lesson of life. The big difference between the Facebook gurus and Solomon the life coach is that the solution is not to gain any external thing to bring happiness into us, nor is it even trying to eliminate the hardships of life, to maximize joy and minimize pain. He says, no, because that will never ever happen, because God in his sovereignty has ordained these hardships for our good and for our blessing, and so therefore the secret to life, the purpose is to be able to gratefully embrace the good with the bad, to embrace the hardship and the adversity as God's good blessing to us. 
And so Solomon comes to us today and he says this, that we can embrace adversity because God is working all things for our good in Jesus Christ our Lord. We can embrace adversity because God is working all things for our good in Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's break that down in two parts today. First, we can embrace adversity because God is working all things for our good. If you, if you look at the text in the intro, there's two basic questions that are being answered. Uh, the rhetorical questions. The first question is, in verse 12, 6, 12, it says, For who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow? There's some implications in that. <laughs> Right off the bat, the few days of our vain life, it passes like a shadow. We can learn something just from that. But Solomon responds, his answer to this first question is to give us seven Proverbs that are so dense with wisdom that as I was meditating on these this week, I was trying to prepare this sermon, it was so hard because I, I became convincingly, con- com- uh, I became more and more convinced that we could, I could do a sermon on each and every one of these Proverbs could fill 30, 40 minutes, if not that. And so Solomon is, uh, in 14 short verses, he's going to say more than everything that I say today, more or less. That is so dense. We're only going to scratch the very surface of these, but I hope that in doing so, we're gonna, I, we will ignite our minds with wonder at the wisdom of God. The thing about, here's the thing about that I learned about the wisdom of God this week. Wisdom of God is like a, is like a, uh, it's like a, a, an optical illusion art with a hidden 3D picture in it. You ever seen those? And you stare at it, and it doesn't look like anything, and it looks like, or it looks like chaos. When you read this through, it just seems like all these disconnected proverbs that don't, you know, they're, you're like, they don't really make sense. But the more you stare at it, you stare at it, you stare at it, and then all of a sudden, the picture goes click into focus. And then you can't not see it. So I hope as we go through these and we answer this first question, which is essentially what is best in this life, uh, it will ignite our minds and, and as we even just scratch the surface, the beauty of these things will come out. And so we sit down with Solomon at the kitchen table. We open up the field book manual of the fallen world, the kitchen table of the curse, and we say, Solomon, what is best in life? And he takes a cup of coffee and he sips it and he says, says, number one, number one, who you really are is more important than who you can pretend to be. Who you really are is more important than who you can pretend to be. A good name is better than precious ointment and the day of death than the day of birth. Precious ointment in the ancient world was perfume, it was perfume in a showerless world, pretty much. So perfume, precious ointment, was able to make you smell and appear much better than you actually did. And so Solomon is saying, we can do all kinds of things to make ourselves look better, to make ourselves appear better in the world, but at the end of the day, all of that vanishes. It's worthless in comparison to who we really are inside, in our character. It's our integrity. It's our character that matters most. And he says the day of birth is better than the day of, uh, the day of death is better than the day of birth because the day of birth, we could look at this two ways. On the one hand, we could say day of birth is the beginning of suffering and the day of death is the end of suffering. He says that earlier, 
Well, we could also say that the day of birth is all about potential. It's joyous about what might be, but the day of death is who you really are. It's who you have become. There is no pretending on the day of death. You are who you are. Second thing he says, he says we learn more at a funeral than we do at a party. We learn more at a funeral than we do at a party. It's better to go to the house of mourning, that's a funeral, than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter for by sadness the face of the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. Now is he saying that we should mourn all the time? That's not what he's saying. We just got done last chapter with him saying that God wants us to enjoy life that there are all kinds of good blessings that God has given us, food, friendships, uh, in this, even in the fallen world, it gives us joy and he wants us to enjoy life. But what he's saying, what he's saying is this. The other night, me and Nisa, got, the kids got taken uh, to grandma's house, so we went to Costco. I got some ribeye cap steaks. With, they were like half fat, half meat. It's a pinwheel of the edge, you know, the edge of the ribeye that's just all fat. They cut that off and pinwheel it. And then we cooked those. We got some crab legs and made, made some melted butter. And we put it all out. And I took one of those crab legs and I dumped it in the butter and I took a bite of it. And it was like a taste explosion of goodness and beauty and ecclesiastical enjoyment of life <laughs> bursting forth in my mouth. And it was beautiful, and it was worshipful, and it was wonderful. But the thing I did not ask myself as that butter was cascading down my throat, I did not say to myself, I wonder when I'm going to die. I wonder how much time I have left. I wonder what's really important in life. When we go to funerals, you are forced to consider the end from the beginning. Parties are good. Parties are fun. But you don't learn nearly as much at a party as you do when you are confronted with the ultimate questions of life at a funeral. Uh, One of the wisest things I've ever heard was a pastor say, it doesn't take much to make the main thing the main thing. In other words, you can party, you can have a good time, you can forget about your mortality and the fact that you will someday, like it or not, die and be in the presence of God but one bad visit to the doctor's office, uh, one stroke of bad luck, and all of a sudden, the main thing is the main thing again. And so, we learn more at a funeral than we do at a party. Third thing. He says, painful truth is better than sympathetic lies. Painful truth is better than sympathetic lies. I think, one of the biggest roadblocks in biblical counseling when you're trying to counsel someone to come out of sin is the, is the, is the well-meaning cohort of friends that encourage people and sympathize with them according to their version of the story. In other words, it's easy to get people to line up around the block to co-sign on what you want to believe to be true. And that oftentimes is the thing that stands between us and growth in our sanctification. But it is hard and it is rare to have that friend who is willing to come to you and say, there's a problem. 
And the problem is you. And lovingly help you work through that. That is worth more than gold. Fourth thing. He says, caving to momentary temptation causes long-term damage. Caving to momentary temptation causes long-term damage. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness and a bribe corrupts the heart. Oppression here is the Hebrew word weight. I think it means just the weight of sin in the world and just the the ever-crushing pressure to cheat, to get ahead, is so omnipresent that even the wise are often tempted to give into it and to cheat. And what he's saying is that it's that 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 sin, caving into sin is not a temporary thing. It, it, going through with the bribe or going through with the sin ends up corrupting the heart. It causes long-term heart damage. It's not just something we do and get out of. It makes the next sin easier. It makes holiness harder. Five. He says, finishing is more important than starting. Better, in the end of, better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. I had a teacher in, in Bible college named Samuel Weston Burton. He was actually at my ordination. I snuck him into my ordination. And uh, he was a missionary in the Amazon jungle for 38 years and came out and in retirement was teaching church history to us. And he, he, was, he said the best things. One thing he said to me was, he said, Rob, it's one thing to start well. It's another thing to run well. And it's another thing to finish well. This is an 85-year-old man who is finishing his life in a ministry of visiting all his friends and going to convalescent hospitals and finishing well. An 85-year-old man who has spent his life in the jungles of the Amazon tells you, be careful and watch so that you finish well, you listen Solomon says the same thing. Six. Uh, he says, anger is like the house guest who never leaves. <laughs> Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the hearts of fools. Lodges, it gets lodged in our heart. The real danger of playing with anger is like playing with fire. We can't control it. And the person who constantly jumps to anger will quickly find that they are not just a person who gets angry, but that they are an angry person. It becomes who we are. And so forgiveness and compassion are better because they shape your heart in that way too. And seven, living in the past keeps us from living in the present. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. In other words, the good old days weren't. And if we dwell in them, we'll lose the potential of the future. So what do we learn from all this? You know, the first question, what is good for us in life? What is good for us while we live here? The common thread that's going through all of these Proverbs is that, is that perseverance through adversity is the school of life. And Solomon reminds us that when we consider the good we should also consider the fact that God has made the bad and he has given both of them to us for our blessing. It's for our good. He is shaping us and developing our character through these things so that we can be blessed people. But what do we say when something bad happens? First thing we say is, this must be a mistake. 
this shouldn't be happening to me. This should have happened another way. And so we get discouraged, we get mad at God, we blame God, we get angry. Solomon is saying, old, grisly, wisdom-riddled Solomon, who's done everything twice, sits with us and he says, listen, that's the wrong reaction. When something bad is happening to you, you shouldn't say to yourself, this is a mistake, or what did God do wrong? What you should say, what we should say to ourselves is what is God doing and how am I supposed to be learning from this? How is God blessing me in this? In the day of prosperity, be joyful. Enjoy life. But in the day of adversity, consider that God has made the one as well as the other. And so persevering through adversity does so many good things for us, even though it's painful, we should embrace it and be grateful for it. Second truth. Second truth is that God is working all things for our good through Jesus Christ our Lord. Second question being asked in this passage, first one being, what is good for us in life? What is for our advantage? Second question is, who can tell a man what will be after him under the sun? And so if the first question is about what's good in life, the second question is about what is good after life? What is good in death? What do we need to know? And Solomon answers the question like this in verse 7, 11, and 12. He says, wisdom is good with an inheritance, an advantage to those who see the sun, for the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money, and the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Now, what is he talking about there? How does that tell us about what is good after life? What is good in death? The first clue is verse 11 when he says, wisdom is good with an inheritance. In the Old Testament, inheritance meant land. Israel was given Land and land meant security and safety and prosperity. If you had the land, you were safe. If you were a landed person, you were protected. In the New Testament, we learn that that inheritance of the land that was given to Israel is a picture of a greater reality. Inheritance in the New Testament is given to us as our inheritance as co-heirs with Christ in the new heavens and the new earth. That we have an inheritance not here in this earth, but we have an inheritance in something so much bigger and better and greater. We have an inheritance in heaven. And so the, the, what God is saying here is that if, if all wisdom did for us was help us to better navigate life and then we die, it would go into the, the category of vanity. Vanity, all is vanity. is meaningless. It doesn't do any good, ultimately. But wisdom does more than that, and the promise of God here is more than that. Wisdom, true wisdom, comes with an inheritance. How so? Second clue. He says that wisdom saves the life of he who has it. He says, first of all, that wisdom and money are similar. The protection of wisdom, the protection of money. Not your protecting money, but how wisdom or money can protect you. In other words, uh, Wisdom and money are similar. They can help us to navigate and mitigate the rough parts of life. Money can buy you out of trouble, just like wisdom can keep you out of trouble. 
Amen? But the big difference, the one big difference is that no amount of money can buy your way out of death. No amount of money can buy your way out of death, but wisdom, says Solomon, can preserve, read that, save the life of him who has it. How? And here's where we need to superimpose the greater revelation of the New Testament over the seedbed of wisdom that Solomon has given us. Solomon had a certain amount of revelation. He knew certain things about trusting in God, trusting in God for the afterlife, but he did not have the fullness of the revelation that we have in the New Testament era, post-cross with Jesus. And so, the first thing we need to know is that the New Testament calls God's ultimate revelation of wisdom has come to us through Jesus and is the cross. The ultimate revelation of wisdom to us in its ultimate form is through Jesus and through the cross. In Colossians, Paul says that God has given us to know the knowledge of his mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures and wisdom of knowledge. Paul says in 1 Corinthians that Christ Jesus has become to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. In other words, God has given to us in Jesus the ultimate revelation of wisdom in its ultimate form. Not just how do we persevere through adversity in this life, as good as that is. Not just how do we manage to live in a fallen world, but what is good for us after this life. What is good in death? How do we preserve our lives? How are we saved out of adversity into our inheritance in the new heavens and the new earth? And the answer that the New Testament gives us is that ultimately Christ is our ultimate wisdom because Christ has become our righteousness. His righteousness has been given to us so that we are able to stand before the Father in love, that Christ has become our sanctification, that his spirit is now at work in us shaping our character through all of these God-ordained hardships that God is bringing blessing out of and growing us in our character, shaping us to be more like Jesus so that we can be the kind of people who are bulletproof, almost impervious to the circumstances of this world because we are being shaped by the power of the Holy Spirit and Christ has become our redemption. His sacrifice for us has bought our way out of the fallen world. Do you realize that there's going to be a day when we can throw Ecclesiastes in the trash because we will have no need for a field manual in the fallen world. We'll have no need to sit down at the kitchen table of the curse and ask God these hard questions because he will have brought us home. And so now looking back on these meditations of Solomon and asking the question, what is best for us after life? What is good in consideration of the promise of new life in Jesus? What is good in our death? We can look back and we say, the day of death is better than the day of birth. Because it's not just the end of suffering for us, it's the beginning of glory for the Christian. We can say it is better to remember our mortality while we live so that we can focus on the immortality that God has promised us and live in expectant hope. 
And it is better to be rebuked for our sins so that we can grab onto the salvation that is in Christ. And we have good reason to avoid all the corrosive influences and temptations in this age because we don't need them. We can live in patience of spirit. We can live in the present with great hope because we know that the best is yet to come. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for the beauty and power of your word. We thank you for uh, these promises that you have given us overall, Lord. We thank you that even in this, the suffering of this world, we can look to Jesus and know that we are safe, Lord. We thank you that you have thought so much for us that you have given us this field manual and this wisdom so that we can navigate through life, Lord. And we pray that you would help us to know these lessons and to live them so that we might be blessed, so that we might be a blessing to other people. But ultimately, Lord, we pray that this wisdom would teach us about who Jesus is and what he's done for us and that we would rely totally on him for our salvation, Lord. And we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.